Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles, something to take notes with this morning. Are you glad the person you're sitting next to came to church this morning? If you are several seats away from someone who is alone, fix that. Seriously, now, I'm not even looking up so you can do it. Nobody's going to see you. It's great. Nobody's doing it. <laughs> Nobody ever does it. It's okay. We just have this thing where we, we want to refuse to let people be alone in church because you're alone in too many other places. The devil's lying to you, telling you you're alone. Nobody sees you. Nobody notices you. And even if nobody moved to sit next to you this morning, I can see you from here. I'm glad you're here. We're all glad you're here. Do you have a Bible this morning? Yes. you have something to take notes with? Yes. Awesome. Sounds like only the front of the room. <laughs> Back of the room. You got a moment to catch up. Open up to uh, the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to start off with a couple of verses this morning. As we get going, I'm excited about the word of God today. Mark chapter 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Good deal. If your neighbor's not there, you can share. We remark verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 as we get going this morning. You know what we're going to do? We're going to all stand up for the Word of God. Let's do it. Go ahead and stand up to your feet. There we go. Shout out to Brittany for being the first one up. That was fast. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes on a rainy Labor Day, you got to get the blood flowing, right? I don't know if you know this, but this is the Word of God, so... Watch out. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Do you know that Jesus is right in front of you? Sometimes you think he's far, but he's right before your face. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make his paths straight. John, speaking of a guy named John the Baptist, appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Yes, that's weird. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We, um, we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. I got a throat thing coming on, so I might choke on myself a couple of times as we preach, like I just did there. Thanks, babe. Somebody give my wife a round of applause. She's super awesome. So we're here at church this morning, the vast majority of us, because we're Christians. You might not be here because you're a Christian. You might be here checking it out. If you're here this morning, you're at least intrigued at what Christianity might have to offer, right? I, I would say that's got to get at least 99% of us. If that's not you, welcome to church. I don't know how you showed up here, but I'm glad you're here, right? If you're like, oh, this is about Jesus? Yes, that's what this is about. And as, as Christians, the foundation of our worldview as Christians is that God created everything, and then he created us. He created humanity in his own image, and he did that so that humanity could be in relationship with God 
and to be a partner with him in his purposes and his plans for the earth, to be a part of expanding and demonstrating his kingdom on all the earth to all people and to all of creation. So that means that human fulfillment, our best life, being full, living the life that we're called to, our calling, our purpose, our passion, our fulfillment is found in being in relationship with God and being a part of his purposes of expanding and demonstrating his kingdom to the world around us. And the gospel that we talk about, that word means good news, the good news that we believe and are built on is that we were created for that. In our sin, we fractured that relationship, and Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and bone so that he could restore us, not just to relationship with God, but so that we could be restored to our purpose. Is that making sense to everybody? Just a little bit of a review, what church is all about. So that, that's what we are, are built on, that we would be restored to relationship so that we could participate in the purposes of God. And church, what we're doing here. This morning, church is the community of people who want to follow that Jesus, who want to be in restored relationship with God and participate in his purposes and in his plans on the earth by the love of Jesus, that we would be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. That's what church is all about. And today we are starting a series that we're going to be doing over the next five weeks that we have called Five Rooms. So if you've got notes out, you can write that. Start there. This is your first time taking notes in church. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Series called Five Rooms, and it's coming kind of on the heels of a series that we did just recently called The Church That God Builds. I really enjoyed it, talking about the book of Acts. I hope that you did too. We're talking about the church that God builds, and we're doing this series called Five Rooms because the church that God builds is not comprised of one room. Most of the time when we talk about church, we think about this room, Sunday morning room where we all come in and we do this and that and this and some other things, and that's church, and, and that's, that's good. We should think about Sundays and the building and us coming together. We should think about that when we think about church because that is absolutely part of church, but this is not all of church. There's a difference between a part and the whole thing, right? This is part of it, but this isn't the whole thing. The five rooms that we're talking about over the next few weeks are what kind of the language that we're going to use to talk about our five core values as a church. The five rooms that make up this church, the church that God builds, or if we want to just keep going with metaphors, the five pieces of the puzzle that make up the whole picture. We could go on and on. Are you understanding though what I'm trying to say here? That's what we're going to be talking about that that, that make up the whole picture. Each one of these five is an important part, but no one of them is in and of itself the whole picture. You ever gotten to the end of the puzzle and been missing a piece? Happened a few weeks ago. My kids were not happy. Rose has a no fuse just like me, and she's like, where is it? So let's have that attitude about church. I want the whole thing. I like the whole thing. God's got more. I want the whole thing. I don't want to be missing a piece. I don't want an empty room in this house. Five rooms, five rooms. The first core value that we are going to be talking about in a simple title for this message is personal devotion to Jesus. Personal devotion to Jesus. The first of our core values as a church and what we believe we have to be, if we're going to be the people of God, we have to be a community made up of individuals who are personally devoted to Jesus. A group of people who individually spend personal time in personal relationship, living out personal devotion to Jesus. 
We cannot be a community devoted to Jesus if we are not individuals committed to Jesus and devoted to Jesus. This has to be a regular daily practice of our life. This is what we want to be. We want to be a people of personal devotion. And it should not be a surprise for me to stand up and say this in church. And uh, if, if you've been in church for a long time, this is like an easy checkout point because you've guaranteed you've heard stuff about this before. You're like, this is not going to be anything new. Probably not. Let's do it. <laughs> we don't need something new. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise that I'm saying this, considering that we open talking about the fact that our entire worldview is wrapped up in humanity being in relationship with the God who created everything. So it should be no surprise that our core value is that we are in relationship with this God with whom our whole worldview is built on, that he created everything and created us so that we could be in relationship. We should have a core value of being in relationship with this God. It should not be a surprise. And, and this should not sound radical. It probably doesn't sound radical at all to be like, yeah, we should be living lifestyles of personal devotion. If you take a, a survey of Jesus followers, if we took a survey of this room or of church people, you'd likely find that a vast majority would agree that spending time with Jesus, some sort of regular rhythm of, of worship, of reading the Bible, of prayer, things like that, th those are really good things. I guarantee you a vast majority would say, yes, that's a good thing. If they said no, they'd be like, if I say no, I'm definitely a bad church person, but I know I'm a good church person, so I know those are good things. A vast majority would agree with that, and you'd probably also find the common sentiment among that same group of surveyed people that those are good things, and I should probably do more of that. I should probably spend more time with God. Yes, it's a good thing, and I... I should probably have more quiet times or devotions or more time with Jesus. All, all different words that we use to talk about this lifestyle of personal devotion. So our worldview is built on this. We know it's good. We feel like we should do it more. It's the number one core value of our church. And yet, it is rare to find a person. And it is even more rare to find a people who were you to do an audit of their life, time, energy, resources, effort, focus, finances, would demonstrate a lifestyle of personal devotion to Jesus. If you're new to church, like I said, this might be kind of a new conversation to you, but for those of you who aren't new, let's not check out. <laughs> let's talk about this. You probably heard this before. It's probably why every single person in here would probably be in the crowd that says, yes, this is good, and yes, I should do it more. So we're going to talk about it, but usually when we have this type of conversation, if you are somebody who's been following Jesus or in church, you've heard this conversation before, and so the next question is, okay, well, what do we do about it? Why aren't we doing it? What should we do next? All of those sorts of things. And if you've been in conversations like that, like I have, then what usually happens is we narrow that down as we're talking about it because we're fired up and we're going to do something about it. Uh, what we usually talk about is that our problem, the problem that we have, the reason why we don't do what we know it's good, what our worldview is built on, is that we have, we have a discipline problem or we have an equipping problem. You know, it's like, ah, I just like, I need to either try harder and or I need to know more. Like I need to know more how to do it. I need to know more what to do. Like I, I just need more accountability. I, I need more discipline. I gotta, if I just worked harder and knew more, I would totally do this more. 
But the Lord speaks directly to this reality that we're talking about in our lives. This reality that us humans who call on his name and adopt this worldview can kind of do this very not. He speaks directly to it, and, and he highlights the, the actual problems. And I don't know if you've ever tried to solve a problem before, but when you're trying to solve a problem uh, and you're going after the wrong problem, it doesn't ever seem to solve the problem. It's really important that you understand what the actual problem is if you want to solve it. And I'm so thankful for a God who speaks directly to the problem. <laughs> he says, you want to fix it. I want you to fix it. We want this fixed. Let's make sure we're aiming at the same thing. And he speaks to this in Jeremiah chapter 2. I know you turned to Mark 1. We're going to be a little bit all over the place. I'm only making you go to Mark. You can look at the screen for this part. Jeremiah verse, or chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The word of God says this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The Lord's speaking directly to this problem, and he shows us here in Jeremiah chapter 2 that our problem is not a discipline problem. It's not an equipping problem, but we do have two problems. There are two evils. There are two problems. Number one is we have a belief problem. And number two, we have an affection problem. In Jeremiah 2, he speaks to this belief problem. He says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They don't believe that I am the living water. If they believed it, they wouldn't have left. They don't believe that life is found only in me, and they have built other cisterns. They've, they've created for themselves other buckets to try to fill with living water. And these buckets are broken. Not only are they not me, they're broken. Not only are they not me, they're broken, and they don't hold water. Not only did they leave me, the one who has everything they want, but the things they've built can't even hold the things that don't fill. They don't believe that I am life, and they do believe they can find it somewhere else. It's a belief problem. Back to Mark chapter 1. We ended with verse 8. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptized, that word, it means immersed, covered, filled, soaked. I mean, just drenched. You know, picture just like the whole nine yards. We think that we, think that we get life by, by filling all of our buckets. That's Jeremiah 2. I'm looking for life. I've got all these buckets in my life, my time, my focus, my energy, my dreams, my desires, my calling, my passions. If I could just get all these buckets filled up, then I would have life. We think that life is found in filling our buckets, but Jesus gives life by filling us. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to fill your buckets. He said, I'm going to fill you. <laughs> That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for a full life. You're looking to be full. And when we talk about our behavior, being a people who devote or devoted to Jesus, our behavior is not going to change by being disciplined. Our behavior will only change when we change our beliefs. Behavior is driven by your belief. We walked away because we believed we'd find it somewhere else. And we believe, we have this belief as Christians and, and church people so often that the reason Jesus came was so that we could have a better relationship with God. And it sounds so good, but, but it's actually kind of far off. And 
Jesus didn't come to give us a better relationship with God. This, this, this idea of a better relationship with God, that's, that's the baptism John talked about. He says in verse 4, I'm baptizing you. I have a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That definitely leads to a better relationship with God. <laughs> when there's no sin separating you, you're totally forgiven. The love of God, this is incredible. Absolutely, this is a better relationship with God. Jesus loves me and forgives me. I can have a better relationship with God, so therefore I should start adding him to all my buckets. That's what we do with that. So therefore, we've got the fairy dust that we should start sprinkling to make our different areas of our lives soar and fly. We believe that Jesus came to give us a better relationship with God, but Jesus didn't come to give you a better relationship with God. He came to give you his relationship with God. I baptize you for forgiveness and repentance, John said, but there's somebody coming after me I can't even untie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with God is not something that adds to your buckets. You are the bucket. You are the bucket to be filled like Jesus was filled with the same spirit that pulled him out of the grave. This is what Jesus came for. His relationship, his filling with the Holy Spirit. Our first problem is a belief problem. Our second problem is an affection problem. That was just kind of the intro to get to where we're really going. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1 continues. Jesus, John says Jesus is coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows up. Jesus is baptized by John. Immediately after that, it says that Jesus is uh, taken and driven out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He's tempted and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Looking at Jesus' life, beginning here right off the bat, he had to choose to focus his affection on the Father just like we do. I look at Jesus' life, even right here off the bat, that he had, to, he had to focus his affection in the midst of the same distractions that we face every day. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in the same ways we are, and yet he didn't sin. Jesus knows what it's like to have our beliefs and our affections pulled in different directions. And he also showed us that we can do it. Because he came to give us his relationship. So we're going to learn from Jesus this morning. I want to learn from Jesus this morning, and I want to talk about, real honestly, three loves that make us lose our love for Jesus. Three devotions that take our devotion away from Jesus. And it's encouraging because Jesus had to face these same opportunities. But he chose and we can choose too. Number one we're going to talk about is in, in Mark chapter one still. So we've got the baptism and temptation and then the verses we read last week, the the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus makes his first disciples. He begins preaching and ministering. Miracles are happening. It's absolutely crazy. And now in Mark 1, verses 32 through 35, would you read with me? It says, so the stuff's been happening. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at this one door of the house he's staying at. That's crazy. We glance over that stuff. Like imagine if the whole city was outside that door. 
And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is insane. Now, I want you to underline verse 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed. He went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I want you to underline that verse in your Bible this morning. The first love is I love easy. I love easy. When I read Mark 135, one of my first thoughts, honestly, is, man, Jesus' relationship with the Father was not very organic. Very early, in the morning, in the dark, got up and left, found a desolate place, and then prayed? <laughs> Heather and I have this phrase that we've coined for us <laughs> that we've learned about ourselves. Um, it's not necessarily a great thing, but it's honest, and it might be true for you too. We've, we've learned this phrase that describes something we've learned about ourselves, so I'll just say it personally for me. I have learned in my life that I want things my way, right away, the first time, for free. <laughs> it's just hardwired into me. I want things my way, right away, the first time, for free. And when things don't go one of those ways, I get pretty frustrated. Because we love easy. I love easy. And so often we love easy more than we love Jesus. Because when it isn't easy, when it takes something, like very early, in the morning, in the dark, go somewhere, find a desolate place, and then pray, we don't. Real quick, for the moms with real little babies in our church, you're like, I know, you're so right. Like, I keep trying to read my Bible on my phone so I don't have to turn the light on in like the 5 a.m. feeding, but I keep falling asleep. It's terrible. Like, this is not for you. <laughs> You're way more holy than all of us, okay? So keep it up. You're doing great. For the rest of us. For the rest of us. We know the easy that we love more than Jesus based on whatever we say after in this conversation when somebody's talking about spending time with Jesus, you know the easy you love more than Jesus based on whatever you list after you say, yeah, I really want to spend time with Jesus, but another question you could ask yourself that will clarify things for the vast majority of us, maybe not all of us, but the vast majority of us, I know what I love more than Jesus when I look at what I do before the sun comes up. It's just true. Jesus was up late working the night before. By the time the sun came up, his toddlers, I mean his disciples were looking for him. <laughs> if you keep reading, they're like, you got to come back and preach. And he says, no, we got to go to another place and preach. So he had a long day of meetings and travel ahead. So he got up very early while it was still dark and he left and he went to a desolate place where he could pray. See, there's this illusion 
that is immobilizing the potential of the people of God. And that illusion is the illusion of normal. I want you to write that down. The illusion of normal. This illusion that there is this place in life that adults get to where you finally just hit the groove and life just flows. And you do all the things you want to do when you want to do them and you feel great doing it. Maybe we wouldn't say it, but we think it a lot. Like, and you know that you haven't hit that flow yet. It's out there. Other people are doing it. I mean, look around for goodness sake, but I'm not. I haven't hit that flow yet. You haven't hit it yet, but you know that there's other moms, there's other business owners, there's other young professionals, there's other guys, there's other girls, there's other people just like me doing just like what I'm doing. I mean, they've hit the flow. They've hit it. I mean, like, you know that most of the people around your life, you know, they've hit this normal, like normal, where like their normal is like eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, where they wake up the first time when the alarm goes off, they feel great, they Their Bible glows for an hour while they have angelic visitations. Their kids wake up right when they're done. And their kids are happy and in great moods. And it's amazing. And you're like, oh, these people, how did you get to normal? And then they do like family devotions over pancakes every day. And then they, and then they like go to work and they put in like exactly eight hours of work. And by the end of their eight-hour workday, every day they look at their to-do list and they're like, I nailed it. Not only did I do everything I set out to do, I still have so much energy to go home and spend time with my family. And so they pull into the driveway right on time as dinner is popping out of the oven by itself, and it smells incredible, and their kids run out happy to see them bathed and clothed and hairbrushed, and it just kicks off a beautiful evening of family together, and right the minute they finish dinner, it's time to leave for life group. And so they all worship in the car on the way to life group and show up happy. And then life group ends right on time. And by the time they pull back into the driveway, it's exactly bedtime for the kids. And we all go down for a nice evening of eight hours of uninterrupted sleep so we can wake up the next day and do it all over. Man, I can't wait to be one of those guys. You don't know how they do it, but it sure must be nice. And whenever you get there, you'll spend time with Jesus just like they do because it's easy for them. We talk about balance in our life. Life is full. There's a lot going on. I got to balance everything I got going on. I got to talking about what I do and the sun goes up. Nobody shouts amen because I don't want to talk about it. I got to work out. I got to get breakfast. I got to get all these sort of things. We got a lot of stuff to balance in your life. But if Jesus is in the balance category, you're headed in the wrong direction. Jesus didn't come to bring balance to your life. He is the source of life. Balance, you you balance the accessories of life, not the necessities of life. You don't balance breathing on Monday with digesting on Tuesday with heart beating on Wednesday. If you think you can find life somewhere else, you'll look somewhere else. Convenient isn't part of the equation for the necessities. Because you're convinced That if the necessity doesn't happen, life doesn't work. You know, if my heart isn't beating, I've got problems. If my digestive system isn't working, I can't function. If my lungs aren't breathing, I'm not going to last very long. 
Because it's a necessity. It's got to happen. It, it has to happen for life to work. Jesus says, stay connected to me like a branch stays connected to a vine. He says, a disconnected branch gets thrown into the fire. But the connected branch bears a bunch of fruit. There's no work on the branch's part. Other than just the fight is not to bear fruit. The fight is to stay connected. I love easy. Later on in Mark chapter 6, we have a bit of another familiar story. Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. You ever heard that one before? Jesus is preaching to a huge crowd. It's getting late. People are hungry. It's kind of a desperate situation. And they find and come up with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then verse 41 in Mark chapter 6 says, uh, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. It's incredible. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Now they have leftovers. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So we're talking, you know, some wife and kids running around. We got 15,000 people from five loaves and two fish. That's a miracle. If I saw that, I would say, Wow. That was kind of funny. <laughs> Verse 45, right after, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. I love being okay. I love being okay. In verse 40, things are not good. 15,000 hungry people and no food. They need a miracle. Verses 41 through 44, they get a miracle. Five loaves, two fish, everybody eats. They eat until they are satisfied, and then there is leftovers. In verse 45 through 46, the people, the disciples, they just saw this whole thing happen. They were in a bad spot. Then Jesus showed up. They're, they're amazed. They're thankful, and they take their full bellies, and they take their extra baskets of food, and they move on because everything's okay. But Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. Because Jesus knew that what the Father had was better than being okay. We aren't always okay, but for most of us, most of the time, things are okay. Maybe not great. Could be worse. But, you know, most of the time, most things are okay. And I love being okay. <laughs> and okay sounds like something. It has a sound that I want to play for you this morning. In case you're wondering, what, it, how, how, it, what does okay sound like? Sounds like white noise. You know that stuff you put on to help you fall asleep at night? That's what okay sounds like. The marriage isn't great, but it's Okay. How you spend your time, the anger problem, the lying, you know, relationship in some situations. Like, it's not great, but it's okay. Like, the, the, the porn that you go to sometimes, the spending you do sometimes, the media you choose, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not great, but it's okay. It's okay. It could be worse. And our relationship with Jesus... It's not great, but I mean, it's okay. I'm okay. 
yeah, it totally could be worse. And you know it would worse. And you would do something about it if you thought it was bad. And you know you'd do something about it because right before falling asleep on more than one occasion, you've imagined what that situation would be like if it got bad. But that situation hasn't happened, at least yet. So for now, it's okay. We gotta wake up. There's an urgency that comes with need. There's an urgency that comes with desperation. There's an urgency that comes with crisis. When you need a miracle, you need God. When you're hungry, you find a way to eat. When you're thirsty, you find a way to drink. When you are desperate, you find a way to live. You learn what you need when you're dealing with crisis. You learn what you love when you're doing okay. After the miracle. When your belly's full. There's even some leftovers and some extra. There's always more. There's always more. But I love being okay. Mark chapter 14. We pick up Jesus' life the night that he is arrested so that he can be tried and crucified. In Mark chapter 14, he takes his disciples to a garden to pray. Mark 14, 32 through 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. I love feeling good. I love feeling good. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, about to be arrested, beaten, tried, and crucified for the sins of all of humanity, full of the Holy Spirit, blameless and without sin, in perfect communion with the Father, goes away to the garden moments before he is betrayed so that he can pray. How does he feel? It says distressed, troubled, his soul is very sorrowful. Other accounts tell us that the emotional stress in this moment is so great that instead of his face dripping with sweat, his face is dripping with blood. That's how he feels. What does he pray? Abba. Basically the Hebrew word for daddy. Daddy, please. Father, please. Everything is possible for you, which means there's got to be another way. Everything's, everything's possible. Surely this one thing has to be possible. Let me, let me do it another way. There's got to be another way, please. That's what he prays. 
And what happens? By reading the rest of the story, we see that our all-good, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God tells his only son, no, there isn't. You need to go die. As a pastor, I'm often asked, and as a human, I have often asked, what about when I don't feel anything? What do I do when I'm not feeling it? I had a friend ask me that this week. He said, I was talking to my little brother, and he's been going to church, and he's been trying this stuff, but he's really struggling because he keeps saying he doesn't feel anything. He's like, what do you tell people like that? I told him, well, why don't you tell him to get his Bible and read it every day until there's something that he knows he can go and obey, and then do that every day and do that for as long as he's not been following God, however many years that is, and when those years are up, ask him how he feels. Jesus finishes his prayer with this small statement, yet not what I will, but what you will. I want you to hear me this morning. I really love feeling good. I love feeling good just in general, and I love feeling good in the presence of God. I love feeling God. There's nothing like feeling God. I want to feel God. I want to feel God more. I want you to feel God. I want you to feel God more. I do feel God. You probably do feel God. I want it more. You will feel God. Yes, I'm all for it, 100%. Come on, let's go. But this, like this, and this, and this, and that, it's not about you. And it's not about me. <laughs> this Bible, this Jesus, this church, this life, it's not about me. And it's not about you. Sometimes we ask about not feeling certain things in certain ways at certain times as if God owes us something. Because we like squeezed in a few Bible verses into our busy schedule. Like, where's the feeling? I don't feel anything. Like, ah, God didn't hold up his end of the deal. Look at me. I got up like 15 minutes early. Like, I prayed real hard. And sometimes it's the other way. And you're like, it's been years of hours. And that's hard. Like, I'm, I, yeah, that's hard. But he doesn't owe it to me. It's not about me. It's not about you. And it's not about our feelings. God loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever have any idea. He loves you enough to look at his son who's perfect, full of the Holy Spirit, sinless, blameless, sweating blood, greatly distressed, sorrowful in his soul, begging heaven, please, no, find another way. God loves you enough to look at that son and say, no, you have to die for you. God loves you. He loves you so much, and he wants to blow you away, but he doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you doing it your way, according to your preference, or on your time, or the way you want to feel it. It sounds super harsh, but it's like so freeing, because you've been thinking a lot about that. And now that it doesn't matter, you can just stop thinking about it. You thought it was a good reason to question God. And it's not, which means you got one less question, which is good. Goosebumps and tears are great, but they're not the goal. 
The goal is the will of God. The goal is relationship with God. The goal is the kingdom of God. The goal is being personally devoted to Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the feeling, no matter everybody else falling asleep in the garden when they're supposed to be up supporting me, no matter the betrayal coming, no matter the pain coming, no matter what I've gone through, no matter how okay I am, no matter how inconvenient that it is, no matter how much I wish it felt little different, the goal is simple. It's just Jesus. That's the prayer, Father. I've got all these questions. This doesn't feel good. (laughs) It seems like things are going okay and I don't really feel like I need you. I wish I felt like I need you because if I felt like I needed you, I'd probably want you more, but I don't, but at least I'm here. (laughs) This isn't easy. I'm not saying I'm doing it great, but I'm here. That's the prayer. Father, here I am. I'm right. I'm right here. I'm being honest and I'm hungry and I'm willing and I'm open. I have some thoughts. I have some opinions. I have some desires, but I am here for you. And my will, what I want, is to bow to yours. That's what personal devotion to Jesus looks like. I have a will that has a lot of desires and opinions and preferences and questions. And they're all legitimate, but they bow. Not what I will, but what you will. I want you to stand as we close this morning. Real simply, I believe that heaven is calling us to a personal devotion to Jesus. And it's not because God needs something from you, it's because he's got everything for you. It's Jeremiah 2. Two evils, they've left me the fountain of living water. And they've gone and they've created other buckets that are broken and they don't hold. As we close this morning, I wanna give you the simple invitation to turn your affection to Jesus. That might even be new words for you. I remember real, starting to realize I didn't know I could actually really like love God. Like I thought that was just something we said. <laughs> I want to invite you to turn your affection to Jesus. Turn your belief to Jesus. Usually at this time we have our prayer team come up to the front and they're available for prayer and, and we love doing that. But today I just feel like we need to just leave the front open for however you need to respond because some of you need to like, you need to physically move and you need to turn from something and go a different way. You need to confess a love that you have that is keeping you from loving Jesus and therefore it's keeping you from life. You think it's, you think it's gonna give you everything you're looking for but you actually are looking for the one thing you're turning from and that's Jesus. You may be a follower of Jesus. I know I've got things to repent of, hello. I told our staff, I said, this is going to be kind of a heavy message. And I might be the only one up at the front of the end, but I'll be there. So come and join me. Some of you are here this morning, you know you have something to repent of. Some of you are here this morning, you know you have something to repent of, and you're ready to. There's a big difference. And those of you who are ready to repent, I want you to invite you to come right now. I want you to invite you to come to the front if you're like, I need to give up something. And if you're here this morning, and you're saying, I know I'm just not right with Jesus. I I still have my sin. And you need to be born again by the grace of Jesus. You need a new life. You don't just need the new focus. There's not something to turn from. You need to turn from death and you need to find life. All you have to do is turn to Jesus, give him your life and he will make you completely brand new by this baptism of the Holy Spirit. He will fill you and make you new. We've got some folks over here on the side They would love to pray with you. Do not leave this morning If you don't know Jesus and you know you need to, 
You don't have to have all the answers. Just come over and pray. As we worship, I want to invite all of us to respond and just confess those things to the Lord. Go to somebody who's close to you and tell them what it is. If you know, you just got to get it off. Let people pray for you. Let's meet with Jesus right now. And we have these moments. This moment doesn't fix everything, but it's a start. Don't get, don't get distracted by, well, I'll probably fall away again. Today, you can do this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Today, you can do this. So as we worship, come forward, confess, repent, and let the, let the Holy Spirit fill you and baptize you this morning. Lord, we love you, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, turn our affections. Give us faith to believe right now that we can have your relationship with God. Make us a people. Make us a people devoted to Jesus, Lord. And I repent. I repent for my love of easy, my love of being okay, my love of feeling good. Not that those are just bad, but they keep me from you. I repent for loving them more than loving you. You pour out your forgiveness and your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.